Welcome to the uh, first official podcast for Preach and Persuade. Um, in this podcast, uh, we're really going to be focusing on uh, theology, doctrine, apologetics, defending the faith, um, defending what we believe to be true biblical doctrine. Um, and yeah, we, we really want it to be uh, discussional, casual, conversational. Um, there's really no format that we're going to go about and, and do this. Uh, we might have guests on the show. We might um, have our own mini debates if we disagree on a certain doctrine or something. Um, but we really do want it to be uh, a place where learning can happen and growth can happen and sanctification can happen and a place where the, the scriptures are central to everything we talk about. Uh, we will be opening up the Bible every time we meet, and we'll be discussing things and arguing arguing from the Bible for a position. So when you think about the, the, the name Preach and Persuade, that really encompasses what we're going to be doing on this podcast. We're going to be preaching the whole counsel of God, preaching biblical doctrine, biblical theology, and then persuading people uh, to that position, really. Um, and we see in Scripture that the Apostle Paul, he would persuade people. And so persuasion is a good thing. Uh, when used for the glory of God. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, before we go any further, my name is Sam Parada. Um, I'm a, an evangelist with Ambassadors for Christ International, a, a fellowship of, of evangelists preaching and teaching men. Um, I'm in full-time ministry, and, um, and Preaching Persuade is kind of my own little experiment with trying to uh, get uh, biblical content on online. So... Hopefully you find it, uh, the rest of the website, or even just this podcast, um, yeah, edifying in some way. But I'm here with my good friend, Adam Nesbo, and he can introduce himself, too. Yeah, well, uh, that's my name, and uh, <laughs> Sam, Sam and I met at Ignite Church in Moorhead, yep. and uh, we're really excited because uh, this is a pretty big week for us, because just this week, we were uh, part of a successful church plant team. That launched Harvest Plains Church in Castleton, North Dakota. Yeah, uh, and so we're celebrating that this week, uh, and really looking forward to serving with you and teaching with you at Harvest Plains. I think yes. it's going to be it's, it's going to be great. It's a start to hopefully a long life of ministry together. Yeah, um, but yeah. So obviously, if you're not or you know if you don't know who we are personally, as you can tell, we're Minnesota North Dakota boys. Yeah, uh, we kind of. <laughs> If you know anything about Fargo-Moorhead, uh, there is this kind of sense that both sides of the river is home in a way. I grew up in Minnesota. Now I live in North Dakota. Uh, I think that's the same with you, Adam. You grew up in Minnesota. Yeah, I, I was I was born in Moorhead. I, I lived in Moorhead for 13 years, and then I lived in Fargo for a couple, and then back in Moorhead. But I just I always call Fargo home because sure. it's just like one big thing. Yeah, yeah. I was born in Minnesota. Grew up in Minnesota, went to college at North Dakota State University, and ever since then I feel like I've been a North Dakota boy, and I've, my heart has finally transitioned, especially with being a part of a church plant in North Dakota. Mm -hmm. um, now I feel like I'm, I'm totally sold. I'm a North Dakota yeah. boy. <laughs> except, except where it comes to hunting and fishing, right? Like, hunting and fishing seems to always be better on the Minnesota side. No, I am <laughs> such a North Dakota hunter and fish. So, another thing about us, we like to hunt and fish. Um... I am so sold for North Dakota hunting and fishing. Uh, one, because non-resident 
Minnesota licenses are far cheaper and f far more, what am I trying to say? If I was to buy a non-resident Minnesota duck hunting license, I could hunt the whole season. If I'm a Minnesota resident and I buy a North Dakota non-resident duck hunting license, I can hunt for two weeks. Mm. And it's far more expensive. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, um, I have a lifetime tag for Minnesota. For rifle hunting. Yeah. Yes. For deer hunting. So, so even if I live in... So, like, I don't have to pay anything now. I had one big upfront cost, but I'm set for a life. That's, that's, the, that's the ultimate yeah. thing to do is... Be a Minnesota resident, get the lifetime, and then be, become a North Dakota resident. Yeah. But I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I should have. I'm kind of kicking myself. Maybe it's because I didn't have 600 bucks at the time. I could have bought one when yeah. I used to be a Minnesota resident, but now it's too late. It and is. I don't think I want to become a Minnesota resident anymore. So I'm kind of... No, I think you have to do it for a year. So uh, something to consider. But, yeah. uh, but I think we're, we're firmly in North Dakota now. Move back into the... With the the parents for a while just to get that lifetime license but yeah anyway that's a little introduction on who we are um since this is the first podcast uh we really do want to talk about the central message of the christian faith which is the gospel um you know we just experienced a church plant so that we had our first public launch service and and the message that was preached was the gospel because the gospel is the most important message that anybody could ever hear it is the most important thing that we could ever uh build our lives on it, it's 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 foundational to christianity uh and the bible says that it's the gospel that saves it's the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes um and so that's why we want to start our podcast talking about the gospel talking about uh what is this message uh what's contained in it why must it have them the, the highest level of integrity um, we're going to be reading a passage from Galatians 1 just kind of to show this this reality that this message is important and we can't be tampering with it. Um, and then we're going to yeah break down the aspects of it and really get behind the message itself and, itself and get into the theology and the doctrine of, 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 of salvation or really what's called soteriology. Talk about a little bit of soteriology to see, okay, why, why does this message save us? Is it magic? Is it just a magic magic message that somehow does some magic thing in you when you hear it? No, there's actually some real tangible work that is behind it. Yeah, uh, and we want to talk about that. But yeah, do you have anything to add about the gospel itself? <clears throat> no, I, I think I think you did you did a really good job of of covering you know what we're going to talk about. I think you know one thing that came to mind as I was listening to you talk was uh, the importance of how do we approach the Bible? Yeah. Because we're going to turn to the Bible for answers. And and you and I both firmly uh, agree and believe that the Bible needs to interpret the Bible. Mm. The Bible was like written that. the Bible <laughs> was written to uh, by a person to people. Yeah. And we need to understand it in that context uh that the Bible has inherent meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, you know, like Paul uses uh, phrases throughout his writing that had meaning to the people that he was writing to. Mm -hmm. And and I'm just throwing out an example. So we need to understand his writing in that context. Right. But also understand that it's the word of God and it is written for our instruction and benefit. Right. Um, but all throughout, all throughout the scripture, we have to 
constantly remember that we're using the Bible to interpret the Bible mm. and not pouring our own thoughts and beliefs yeah, into Yeah, our own it. biases, our own intuitions. Right. And Which is so easy to do. So easy to do, especially because we all, even for those who of us who are Christians and are regenerated and have the Spirit in us, uh, we still have this reality that we live in fleshly bodies and we still have these fleshly desires and the flesh is always in enmity with God. Mm-hmm. So we have this internal tension and internal fight within us uh, and the flesh can be very subtle in how it starts right. to make us uh, think differently or think wrongly or interpret the Bible you know, based upon our feelings yep. or our experiences and, right. and, and not by yeah interpreting the Bible with the Bible. And, yep taking in the actual context. And yeah, I think that's really, really important before we really even get into it, just talking about the Bible a bit. Like this is the very word of God. Like um, this is our ultimate authority. Uh, right. It, and a lot of, you could say, secular people and, and, and atheists and agnostics, they like to say that Christianity, uh, having the Bible as their ultimate authority is circular reasoning where, okay, our ultimate authority is the scriptures, and we know it because the scriptures say it is the ultimate authority. And, and that is circular. Right. But the point is, is that they themselves, let's say atheists, they might have, uh, they might prove facts or truths uh, based upon logic and reason. And they think logic and reason is that way in which we can come to know things to be true. But then you, you, you prove the existence or the, the validity of, of logic and reason with logic and reason. Right. And therefore it's circular. Uh, and so anything that's an ultimate authority, that has to be, you know, it has to be circular. You right. can't, if there's anything beyond the Bible or behind the Bible um, to prove its authority, then that thing would be the ultimate authority and not the Bible. But the mm-hmm. Bible is that ultimate authority because it is the very words of God who is the creator of everything. Right. So, yeah. So yeah, so that's why we are Bible guys, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Make it yeah. say it simply. But it, I mean, it's it's so important. Um, you know, I mean, we see this, we see this debate too with uh, even the Constitution of the United States. Oh sure. You know, is it is it a living document, which meaning changes over time? Yeah. Or is it a document that was written and had meaning, and and that meaning stays until it is changed. Right. Uh, well, the Bible is similar uh, in that regard because that, that debate rages over the Bible. Well, mm-hmm. you know, Paul talks about, um, you know, men and women. So, does you know, does he does he mean that that men can never have long hair, for example, or <laughs> or does that change with societal norms uh, or as as societal whims change? And and that's a topic for for a different time, yeah. you know, when we when we start uh, discussing that. But the reality of the Bible is, you know, can't be stressed enough that it, it is as unchanging as the God who wrote it. Exactly, it's it's immutable as God is immutable, right? Non-changing, unchangeable. It's His very word. If if God was to change His word, He would. He himself and his nature would have to change. And if he were to change, he wouldn't be God anymore. Right, exactly. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's why, yeah. I mean, when people attack the Bible, it's a big deal. And when Christians who profess to be Christians attack the inerrancy and infallibility and authority and sufficiency of scriptures, really what they're doing is they're sitting on a tree limb and they're cutting off the limb that they're sitting on. Yeah. It's like you want to you wanna be a professing believer and you want to attack 
the scriptures, that's shooting yourself in the foot. It's 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 intellectual suicide. It's spiritual suicide. It's mm-hmm. it's idiotic. <laughs> yeah, and you know you see churches do that, and then it's not long before. Uh, you know, you're running into an apostate church. Exactly. They're going to crumble. They yeah. just took out the floor from underneath them. Yeah. And now they're going to fall. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that said, let's talk about the gospel. So I'm going to read Galatians chapter 1, verses um, 6 through 10 to kind of set the stage for this gospel message. Uh, and it says, and this is Paul speaking uh, to the Galatians, he goes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying, still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So obviously we see Paul is, he's being as serious as he can possibly be right. uh, here. Like, if anybody changes this gospel, if anybody, if anybody comes and preaches a different gospel, let them be accursed. It's the highest level of rebuke, right? basically. Yeah, I, I mean, he... Here, here we have, you know, he introduces himself as an apostle. Right. Which was a very specific office mm-hmm. that very few men held in the, first, in, in the first century church. And with that authority, he twice calls for the condemnation mm-hmm. of people who would preach a different gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's even saying that even if I myself, as an apostle, with that apostolic authority, were to come back to you and preach a different gospel, let me be accursed. Yeah. Like, that is that is serious. Like, he's writing. He's inspired by the Spirit of God while he's writing this letter. He's actually writing the words of God. And yet, with that type of authority, he's saying, if I come back and say anything different, even though that right now I'm able to write God-inspired words... Let me be accursed. Yep. <laughs> That's crazy. That is crazy. And and so he, verse 10, I think, is really interesting. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? And so this is the interesting thing about what we see, what we've seen forever since the gospel really came on the scene in the first century when Jesus uh, was resurrected, uh, is that it's an offensive message. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that here. Uh, and And... <laughs> People who are dead in their sins and aren't don't experience the regeneration of the Spirit of God, um, which opens their eyes to the, the truth of the gospel, then it's always going to be offensive and it's always going to be rejected. Um, yeah, we, we see that the flesh does not submit to God. It cannot submit to God. We see that in Romans 8. So you can see the temptation with this message uh, to be to change it so that it's less offensive and so that you actually please man you right. know, or seek man's approval. So we've seen throughout history, we see it today, people who change even subtly the message of the gospel to seek the approval of man and not of God. Right. Yep, and uh, I mean, we, we see that it's so, I mean, 
It, and like you said, subtle, but it's so per- pervasive. You know, we see it in the way that churches operate, mm-hmm. in the way that people preach, in the way they teach. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's very small. Right. But the problem is when you remove the cornerstone or you change the cornerstone, right. when you change the foundation of something, uh, not only does it become easier to change other things, yep. uh, logically you will just do it. Right. Exactly. So that was kind of just our, our springboard into this message. Um, and we see here has to have the utmost integrity. You can't change it. It's unchanging. Like he even says, like, you know, not that there is another message. There is no other message, and we'll we'll get to kind of the root of that. Why is there not another message? And it has to do with the work of Christ. Um, but yeah, so let's kind of use that as a transition into okay, what is this message? We you know sometimes we hear it's it's good news. The gospel literally means good news. So why is it good news? Because um, technically, for something to be good news, there would have to be some type of bad news to precede it. Um, and so that's what we want to talk about. So theologians throughout history have kind of split the gospel up into four categories. You could say, uh, God, man, Christ, and then response. Um, and so that has been kind of widely accepted as the main points or elements of the gospel. You could say there's four points to the gospel. Some might differ. They might lump, uh, some teaching from another point into uh, another one and make it three points or something like that. But nonetheless, uh, the majority of theologians and scholars have, have agreed that, and when you study, actually study the gospel uh, or the apostles, you know, people preach the gospel, especially in the book of Acts, we see, you know, these, these elements are coming out. Um, so it is very biblical. So it is God, man, Christ response. Who is God? What is man's state? What did Christ do? Who is Christ? And then what is our response? Um, so let's start with God. What do you think about God? <laughs> well, I, I think one of the best things about Scripture, and you know, whenever I have the opportunity to uh, to teach, even in an informal setting, um, new believers or uh, people who 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 haven't studied theology as much as you and I have. I like to tell them that every page of the Bible tells us something about the character of God. Yeah. And I think the character of God has been attacked particularly uh, over the last 20, 30 years, not just by the secular world Mm -hmm. uh, saying that that God is unfair. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but even even within the church, and I, I think when we think about the character of God and who is God, mm-hmm. two things come to my mind first: mm-hmm. Creator mm-hmm. and holy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so Genesis one, the very first thing we read about is there was God, and then God created. Yeah, uh, which places God in a place of authority over everything. Everything, yeah. like. You know, you and I are both craftsmen to a certain degree. Sure. If, if we if we make a table, right, then we expect that table to perform a function. We have authority over that table. Exactly. Uh, and if it doesn't perform the function, then we change it, or we destroy it and make a different one. Right. Uh, and 
but that that table is not is not something that can that can be an authority over us right and so i think that same thing applies to god in all of creation right so god is the is the ultimate authority on everything mm-hmm. which then means that 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 leads right into holiness because that means that god gets to say what is right. Yeah, it means he's set apart. He's different. He's yep. other. He's there's not there's no one nothing like him. He's right. totally unique in that regard. Yep. Um I think that's great. And I think, you know, even the Bible uses examples of like that about the crafting something like God is the potter, we are the clay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he crafts us and forms us how he desires and how he wills and he has total authority to do whatever he yep. wants. He literally spoke and this is what, you know, when we talk about, yeah, the point of the gospel of God, there's only one God. And so that needs to be, you know, come out right away. It's like, you know, there's all these false religions that claim to believe in a deity, but it's not the true God. Right. There's only one true God. So that's why the gospel message needs to have a, a, a description of who this God is, the true God, so that we can set it apart from all the other false religions. But uh, what was I saying now? Um, I totally lost train my train of my thought because I went off into other religion stuff. But set apart, we were talking about God's holiness. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. He literally spoke this universe into existence from nothing. God is has a seity, which means he's self-existent. He exists entirely within himself. He's 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 uh, he's he's never been created. He's always existed, and he's existed eternally, which means he's outside of time. He's not even. You can't even use time as a way to uh, define him, or, or he's he's he doesn't experience succession mm-hmm. like we do as as, as creatures in time. Yeah. Um, so he's totally outside of that. He's totally eternal and, and self-existent. And so he spoke this physical universe into being from nothing. And I mean, you think about how I say that I have authority over this lump of clay to craft it how I please. But I bought that lump of clay. Like mm-hmm. that, I didn't even speak that lump of clay into existence. But right. yet, I still think I have authority over it, as mm-hmm. I do. I'm I'm a human being, and this lump of clay is a piece of clay. Right. God is a holy God, and we are creatures, literally spoken from nothing. Yeah. And for anybody to ever think that they can live outside of His sovereign will is just beyond me. Right. And but there's a reason why we think we can, of course, <laughs> of course, <laughs> live yeah. outside, and we'll get to that next. But yeah, I think that's great. That's what we mean when we talk about God. God is the He's one God, and this is important. He's triune, which He He's He's one God. God revealed in three persons: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All are equal in essence, in being. They are one God. Uh, they all share all of the attributes of God. So the wrath of the Father. The spirit also has that same attribute of wrath. The love of of Jesus is the same love that the Father and the Spirit have. They're all one in essence, one in power, one in will, one in degree, decree, one in nature, uh, one in power. Like they're one, but they're revealed in three persons, and those persons have uh, differing roles. You could right. say, yeah, um, and that's important. And and if God was not a triune God, there's a lot of things that would not work either. Right. Um, the fact that he is, he is, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, totally satisfied 
within himself, he has this perfect relationship with himself because he is triune. If mm -hmm. he was just one God, like uh, like uh, Islam would like to say, where he's not triune, then he would need to create in order to gain something that he does not already have. Right. And so that's obviously inconsistent. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's the God that we are speaking of, the personal, self-existent creator of the universe right. who's holy and unlike anything else. Yeah. And I think there's there's so much to the character of God and uh, I mean certainly you know we think about some of the things you mentioned like wrathful and loving and how do those two things come together and uh, you know we think about um, God being a good judge mm -hmm. things things like that. Um, we think about the wisdom of God. But I, one of the things that I always hold to is that the holiness of God is the characteristic that surpasses them all. Hmm. I, I think we, I think the church did a lot of damage in our society in the '80s and '90s, preaching a God that is loving above all else. Sure. And if we want to understand who God is, we first have to respect how set apart God is and mm -hmm. how how holy God is because God cannot tolerate sin right or some or any action or thought that is against his character right and that means that despite love there still has to be justice which right. is what ultimately right. the gospel comes down to right so yeah let's use that as a springboard then into this topic of sin um First, I'm going to say, I guess when I like to share the gospel with people, um, I, I, I do start with the topic of, of God or the point of God, of who is God. And then I like to uh, say that God created the universe to display his glory, which he already had. He is glorious. He, had, he, has, he has these attributes. He created to display them. He created humanity as the ultimate reflector of his glory, uh, man and woman, in his image. Uh, but he created humanity, man and woman, to worship him for his glory, worship him for his holiness, worship him for who he is as God. And so kind of with that theme, we could say of worship, uh, then I, I use that theme of worship to transition into the state of man. We were created to worship. Why don't we worship God fundamentally anymore? Why, why, are, why do most people not worship the true God of the Bible and have that set up? Now, the point number two we could say is the state of man. Man is take it away, take sinful. It away. Sinful, yes. I mean, that's <laughs> man is is unregenerate. Um, yeah. If if God is holy, man is unholy. Yep. And I think the greatest lie of Satan, other than uh, the, I, I so I guess I would say the second greatest lie of Satan. Um, the first being, is that really what God said? Mm. Uh, I think the second greatest lie of Satan is that people are by nature good. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we have to understand that <clears throat> people are by nature not good. They were created good. Yeah, see, that's an interesting thing. Um, yeah, there's two ditches to that. One is that if we think that our state right now as not good and as unregenerate and as sinful and as separated from God is um, 
is normal, then we fall into a ditch. We have to realize that humanity was created good and in right relationship mm -hmm. fundamentally. That's yep. the normal state of man. And that will be the state of those who are uh, saved mm -hmm. by the blood of Christ. That will be their eternal state as uh, in right relationship and purity without right. sin. So there is that sense that, no, we were fundamentally created good. And that, you could say, is the normal or uh, right state of man, how he was supposed to live mm -hmm. um, in a perfect relationship with his creator. Um, but now, because of the fall, the fact that Adam and Eve ate from this tree that God commanded them not to eat from, now we're born into this world where, yes, we're born, you could say normally, mm -hmm. separated. Right. Fundamentally. Conceived in sin. Right. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the, 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 the fall itself, the temptation. And you were talking about this with, with Satan saying, did God really say? And so it's interesting. Um, Satan came to tempt Eve. There's a, we, there's a whole thing we could talk about about why he went to Eve and not Adam. Uh, that would be a topic from a for a different day on complementarianism, probably. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the fact is, when he went to tempt Eve, he you know brought into question God's generosity, God's word, uh, God's character. And then what Eve did, which is really interesting, is she she you could say she forgot who God was as her creator, which means she he is ultimate has ultimate authority. Mm -hmm. And so what she did is she she hears this word from Satan and she remembers the word that we would say Adam probably taught her because uh, Adam yeah I, to, I think that's God, reasonable yep God told mm -hmm. to Adam Adam told to Eve so she has okay this is what God said okay this is what Satan just told me right off the bat if she remembered that oh no God is my creator and the author of all things and the creator of all things even the serpent Satan, mm -hmm. I should automatically, without even question, know that what he said is true and I must live according to that. So when she started to consider what Satan was saying, is what she did is she brought down uh, the, the word of God down to the same level as Satan. And so now she was then the one in ultimate authority to choose which one is right. Uh, and so she, she became the ultimate authority. I have these two people uh, God and Satan, I'm going to, I, I have the ability to weigh uh, which one is right. And obviously she picked wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I guess at the, in, in that moment, she, she hadn't eaten of the tree yet, so she didn't have the knowledge of good and evil. Right. So she only knew good. Right. And, and I think one of the really interesting dynamics about the fall is that Eve ate first, yeah, and violated the rule of God, yeah. But we do not inherit sin nature from Eve, right? Uh, sin nature is in, is inherited from Adam, right? And so I remember I heard this once that Eve was tricked, but Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think it's important to to remember that because I it, for for one reason or another, and I don't I don't think the Genesis account is clear on it. Uh, Satan was successful in tricking Eve yeah. 
in manipulating her thinking. Right. Adam didn't require that manipulation. Yeah. Eve said, you know what, this is pretty good. Eat Try it. it. And he did. And and Adam is it, Adam just did it. Yeah. And that's that's setting aside for a second that, you know, Again, scripture doesn't tell us, but we presume that Adam was present for the whole conversation. Yeah. Uh, if he was, that just multiplies how bad <laughs> his actions are. Yeah. Uh, because it, he he didn't take the time to protect his wife. Right. Uh, you know, so unless he was off doing something and then he saw Eve engaged in this conversation and just walked by right as she was eating this fruit and then she's like here eat this and he's like oh okay yeah uh but again you know he obviously they were right next to the tree so he had to understand where it was coming from yep. Yep. in in any case uh, adam made a conscious choice completely abandoning the word of god yeah without being manipulated by eve right. or or by satan right uh and and i think that's an important distinction right. for us absolutely and so all that being said now we inherit this curse, um, we actually are imputed the guilt of Adam. That's a whole another can of worms that we can talk mm-hmm. about a different day from Romans five. Right. Um, but we also, from this in, this imputed guilt, we also have sin natures now. Yeah. We're conceived sinful. We're born separate, inherently separated from God, and desiring everything that's against God. We actually are born hating God. Um, yeah, and I, I think. I think that's a theological way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, I think a more practical way to look sure. at it is the sin that Adam committed was choosing his own desire over yeah. the desire of God. Right. And that is really where we all are. Yeah. Living um, for ourselves. Right. Which puts an inherent hatred towards God into it. Yeah. But we always want what it what we desire right uh whether or not it's good for us um we want what we want yep and we will have it yeah (laughs) uh, because we have the authority to obtain it right uh that's that's the attitude of man yeah absolutely and so okay we've we've covered who god is we've covered the 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 fall now we're, we're we're sinful Okay, so we've already kind of started to define sin. You could say desiring anything other than God, desiring mm-hmm. anything, desiring our own gain, being uh, living for our own selves, um, and that is sin. Uh, but sin also is, you know, that 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 selfish desire uh, of the heart starts to manifest itself in in outward actions that. Mm-hmm. You, we Thoughts might, first and then actions. Yeah, that might be more to the, I guess, what the world would say is sinful, like, oh, murder mm-hmm. or, or adultery right. or Yeah, you lying. could just go down the list right. of the Ten Commandments. Right, yeah. Those are outward sin actions, you could say, but they stem from that, that mm-hmm. sinful heart uh, that desires uh, right. oneself over God. Yeah, because when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is... Mm-hmm. You know, he said that the law can be summarized in yep. two in two things. So you know, all all of the Ten Commandments, and you know, even the laws beyond that it, that we see in Leviticus can can all be summarized in love the Lord your God with all your 
heart, soul, and mind, mm-hmm. and love your neighbor as yourself. Right. And humanity completely fails in those two things because that was the the failure of Adam. Right. So we kind of have a working definition of sin. Now, what's the big deal, though? Okay, we're sinful. Uh, it wouldn't really be a big deal if there wasn't consequences. Right. So what is the consequence of sin? The, the consequence of sin is, so we have the holiness of God. Mm-hmm. So we have this, this holy God, mm-hmm. and we have this sin. So God has a desire to be with his creation. Yeah. But God cannot be near sin. Right. The, the, the Father cannot be in the presence. Because uh, seems... Well, I, sh- I shouldn't say that because that, that's, that's not actually true. The, the Father ca- cannot abide sin. Right. I mean, because sin is opposite of him. Right. Really, it is, evil is, is the very opposite of mm-hmm. God. It's the absence of God. Yeah. Um, and the root of evil is sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so yeah, there is this 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 yeah this reality that sin is just totally opposite of, of, of who God is, His holiness, and it, and therefore you could say it's lawlessness. And we have this understanding from just being created in the image of God that lawlessness must go punished. It must be right. punished. It must there must be justice against right. wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. And and sin is wrongdoing. It's lawlessness, and it's against God's law. It's against His character. It's against His nature. Um, it's against how He designed us. Right. And so, naturally, logically, it has to go punished. Right. And so the punishment, the consequences, the punishment of sin's death. Um, uh, that is all, that means physical death, but it, but it's more than that. It's more importantly a spiritual death. Right. Um, it's it's ultimately. A separation right. from God. Yes. Uh, and it, you could say an eternal separation mm-hmm. from God. So that means, and the, the Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Um, and so a wage is a payment. for It's for work that you've done. It's yep. what you earn. Exactly. For what you have done. Exactly. So we earn death for our work of sin. We have all sinned, just literally, you know, couple chapters a few chapters before that romans three twenty three for all of sin fall short of the glory of god yeah that's an important thing for us to right to mention here yes so all sinned uh sin must be punished because god is just and loving his justice comes out of his love if if, if, if he loves uh what is good if he, if he is love then that which is you know unloving or that which is 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 wrong or or evil um for you to truly be loving you have to punish that yeah because uh, my my thoughts are escaping me but the logic is sound <laughs> right i mean so that if for for example like you know children so if you have a child that that misbehaves uh, you have to have that boundary there, but there has to be a consequence to that misbehavior. Yeah. You know, like the classic example of, well, my child wants to touch the hot, the hot stove. Right. Well, that's not allowed because they're going to hurt themselves. Right. And if they can, if they do it, then I mean, they get the punishment of a. There's a consequence to doing it. Their hand is going to get burned. Yeah. Uh, 
So to prevent that, you have to set a boundary. And then if that boundary is violated, then you have to intervene out of love yep. so that the, they don't they don't have a burnt hand. Right. And you can even think about it with just a, a judge, like a modern-day judge. Like let's say somebody goes to law school to become a judge because they they want to defend what is right and they want to punish lawlessness and seek justice. Mm-hmm. And so you have a murderer who has brutally murdered a bunch of people. Let's say they're a ser- serial killer. If if you could say that if a judge loves loves life and sees that life is valuable and must be fought for and upheld, mm-hmm. then you naturally logically have to hate what is the opposite of that. Murder, right. The killing of life. And if you have a true love for life, then for that love to be true and authentic, you must seek the justice or punishment of what is opposite of it. Yeah. And so that's kind of where we start to get into this. Because God is loving and because God loves uh, what is good and what is right, because it, you could say because God loves himself, mm-hmm. um, he must punish what is opposite of that. And right. Sin is opposite of God. Mm-hmm. So there must be a, a logical justice a logical punishment um, for sin. And so, yes, that is eternal separation. And we most uh, understand that as being hell. Like, we deserve, everybody deserves to be punished by the wrath of God in hell for eternity for Mm -hmm. our sin. Yeah. And I think a question that we get asked a lot is, well, why is God angry? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, God is... God is angry because we violate the character of mm-hmm. the of the ultimate authority creator. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about creation, how that sets God uh, uh, above. Uh, what we didn't really talk about is: Have you ever heard the theory that God created to give a gift to the Son out of love? I don't think so. So the, the idea is that the father wanted to give a love gift to the son mm-hmm. and so created mm-hmm. to do that and that ultimately mm-hmm. the bride will be that – the bride is the gift. Mm-hmm. So the bride that's talked about in Revelation, mm-hmm. you know, being the people of God is the gift mm-hmm. that's given to Christ at the end where Christ turns around. Mm-hmm. And then gives that back to the father, presents the bride back to the father as a gift back to the father. Hmm. It's um, it's a really interesting. It's interesting. It'd bit, be a fun discussion yes. to have about uh, motivation. You could say for creation, right? And I and I think there's uh, perfectly plenty of room for there to be more than one reason why <laughs> oh, God yes. wanted to create. Yes, uh, we tend to create all these false dichotomies right. in humanity. Right. Uh, it, there doesn't have to be just one. Right. Uh, but it's a uh, it's interesting to think about because that also lends some uh, some room for us to understand why God is so angry at sin. Mm-hmm. Well, he created us to worship him, as you said, uh, and potentially to be a gift for his son. Mm-hmm. So, if we, how can we be a gift to his son or how can we worship him? If we're constantly in rebellion, mm-hmm. uh, we can't we can't adequately love uh, love His Son or the or the Holy Spirit, and we can't adequately worship 
the triune God in in our current state, mm-hmm. and uh, God created us, and that gives Him the right to be angry. Mm-hmm. You know, just like we talked about, you know, we made a clay pot or a table, and it didn't perform its function. We would be angry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it had a a creative pot and a pot, and it didn't hold water, and I wanted it to hold water to drink from, then yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Dang it. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I created this whole water. Right. And it's and, not. I'm going to throw that it point, away. <laughs> at that point, you have two choices. You can either smash it. Or you can fix it. Or you can fix it. Yeah. So what does that look like in 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 terms of humanity? Right. In you reality. can either send them to damnation. Rightfully. Uh, yep. Or, or you can redeem them. Right. And that's exactly what we see play out. Okay. So yes, that brings us to the third element, Christ. So we've already discussed that Jesus Christ is God. He is uh, the you could say the second person of the Godhead of mm-hmm. the Trinity. He is fully God. He is God. He's the eternally existing God. He was before the creation of the world. He he created the world. He is one with the Father, one yep. with the Spirit. He is by God. him and through him all things are created. Exactly. So Jesus is God. There's other you could say uh, they identify as Christian. But they're they're different religions, they're cults like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness that have a differing belief on on who Jesus is. Right. Uh, they might say he's a, a, a lesser god, a created god, more like an angel. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the case at all, and that's not what the Bible says. So yes, Jesus is God. He he two thousand years ago comes down from heaven from his eternal you know glorious position in heaven. He takes on the form of a man. And so this right off the bat is very interesting. He is, he the 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 infinite is dwelling in the finite. Mm-hmm. Jesus is fully God. He never leaves his his deity. He can't. God right. can, God cannot not be God. Like right. that's impossible. If if God was to no longer be God, then everything would implode and nothing would exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Like no, Jesus still stays God, but then he also takes on this this humanity this flesh and he yeah. becomes fully man as well so there's mm-hmm. we call that the hypostatic union yeah he's truly god truly man fully god fully man and that's conceived by the holy spirit right in mary right and that is mind-boggling mm-hmm. like we just can't comprehend that right but it's true and we have to believe it yeah and if you if you don't believe that jesus is truly god and truly man fully god fully man then you're leaving orthodoxy right and i think it's important when we talk about the birth of Christ or, you know, Christ's uh, duality as fully God and fully man, yep. that we understand that uh, that Mary falls into the Romans 3.23 category just like all of us do. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep, that's important. You know, Jesus gets his humanity from Mary yep. and his holiness from the Holy Spirit. Right. I mean, Jesus was always holy before that. Right, he's God. But, you know, in his in his human form. Right. Like, so Jesus maintains this. I, I say that he got it from the Holy Spirit just because we, we say that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. So the Holy Spirit performs this miracle to do this conception within Mary. Yeah. And the, the product is a human baby that is entirely God. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, and all of Jesus's character and personality and and power are there. Yep. And we see Jesus give up some things. Uh, certainly, he gives up uh, his, some of his glory. 
Yeah. Uh, you know that that he ha- has yeah. currently. Yeah. You could say that... you could say that he he has it, but it's veiled behind yes. that that man yeah. flesh. Yeah. It's veiled. Yeah. You just can't see it, and you know sometimes we do get a glimpse of it when he goes mm-hmm. up on the Mount of Transfiguration, yeah. and all of a sudden, boom, he's glowing, and it's like, yeah. oh dang, yeah, it's there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, after after all this time that has passed since the creation and the fall, we see this miraculous event occur, mm-hmm. and and this this product is is all of this conception becomes the hope for humanity that that God has promised, right. you know, since since the curse. Right. So yes, God comes down. Takes on the form of a man, and then we would say, fundamental to the gospel, he lives a perfect life without sin. Not only is he born sinless, right? He lives a perfect life without sin. Every decision, every action, every thought, every heart intention was totally in line with glorifying mm-hmm. the Father. Right? Could you imagine how good of a kid he was? Oh, for, I know. For Mary and Joseph, I mean, just I know. It even shows in their sinfulness too. They're worried about him though, and they're yeah. worried, you know, they, you know, when he stays at the, the temple too long, you know, when the one account, uh, you know, they they realize like three days later, however long, that mm-hmm. oh Jesus isn't by us, you know, he's like twelve or something. He's yeah. back at the <laughs> the temple. <laughs> anyway, so yes, that's important. He lives this righteous life, this righteous life, uh, without sin in any way, perfect, perfect. And perfectly obeyed the Old Testament law as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings us to his death. And then he goes to the cross, this this instrument of torture and execution invented by the Romans, invented to increase uh, the pain in, in execution, invented to torment the, the, the person hanging on it. Uh, invented to prolong death as long as possible and make it as painful as mm-hmm. possible, but invented to ultimately kill. Yeah. And it, it kills every time. <laughs> uh, without fail. Without fail. And so he, Jesus, chooses by his will to go to the cross freely. And then what does he do on the cross? What's s- spiritually significant about what's going on beyond just the fact that he's dying physically? So I, there's there's a super interesting uh, passage in scripture, and I tend to forget which gospel it's in. But one of Jesus's last words uh, while he was on the cross is, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Yeah, which is a quote from Psalms. Yep. But what is so interesting about it is, you know, you just talked about. Jesus's righteousness. Mm-hmm. So Jesus has always, for all of eternity past, mm-hmm. uh, up to creation, mm-hmm. uh, through the fall, through all of the Old Testament history, mm-hmm. uh, through his birth and his life, has always been in perfect communion with the Father. Mm-hmm. And in that moment on the cross, that communion is broken. Yes, in a, in a, I would say, the the communion of his deity with the Father never gets broken because because God is a triune God. If you take away 
or separate or take away even a person of the Trinity. It's no longer God. He is a triune God, mm -hmm. but his humanity, that human, that that flesh, that man part of him who is truly man is totally separated. Yeah. And 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 what happens really is is Jesus in in this really mysterious way is taking on the sin of all those who would believe. Right. And and it's because he takes on that sin. Right. That the Father forsakes him, forsakes him, leading Jesus to experience this moment of separation, of separation, which, right? Which we cannot comprehend this, but I think it's important to talk about because we we have always lived life that is separate from God. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear believers talk about you know some of their their greatest moments are when they feel close to God. Mm -hmm. Well, Jesus. That's what he he was always not just felt close to God. He always was with God. Yeah, and he was always in that perfect thing. And for the first time in all of eternity, yeah, Jesus feels this separation that that we live with constantly. <laughs> and I think that the amount of pain and anguish felt within within him at that moment will never be able to comprehend. We can't or comprehend it. I mean, we got to realize. Okay, so here's the here's the reality. We talked about God's justice. God cannot leave sin unpunished. It will be right. punished. He has to. He can't yes. brush even one sin under the rug and say, "I'll just forget about it." Every sin is punished. Yep. Every sin. So it's this comes to a a, a huge you know central truth to the Christian faith. It's either punished on Christ. Or it's punished on the sinner, and that results in an eternity right. of hell. Because the wages of sin is, is death. death. So for those of us, and we would use the word, are the elect who have been predetermined to be saved, or those who believe, their sin, they were actually in, the, and we'll talk about this sometime. We'll talk, we have to talk about Romans 5 sometime. Yeah. And we already talked about how we're, we were in Adam, so we're, in, we're imputed this guilt from Adam because we were in Adam. Mm-hmm. But now those of us who believe are in Christ, and so we were in his death. So my very being, my, my, my sin, my life was in Christ on the cross. My, all of my sin that I've ever committed, that I will ever commit, even future, was in Christ, on Christ, and it was being the, the wrath of God the Father was being poured out on Christ while he was hanging on the cross. And it, my sin was actually being punished 2,000 years ago. Right. Punished. Wrath poured out. And God, Jesus being God, being infinite, was able to take that wrath and you could say survive it. I mean, he physically died, right. but he rose again three days later. Right. So the, the death occurred. And, you know, we, we talk about the moment on the cross a lot. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's it, the punishment was more than that. Yeah. Right? I mean, we're, there's... There's so much emotional torment that happened to Jesus yep. um, over the course of a couple of days, uh, it, it, with you know his disciples leaving him, Peter, uh, Peter denying him, yep. uh, Judas betraying him. Yep. Uh, you know, I mean, when we when we experience moments of betrayal, it's it's heartbreaking, right? And uh, sometimes we tend to gloss over. Um, we tend to gloss over the heartbreak that Jesus must have felt 
over Judas's betrayal, mm-hmm. even though Jesus knew it was going to happen, right. and he predicted that it was going to happen, yep. and he knew it was going to be Judas, and he knew when it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Still, you pour three years yep. of time with these with these men. Yep. Uh, you pour yourself into them. You teach them. You love them. You spend every day with them, and then one of them still sells you out. That's that's emotionally heartbreaking. Right. Uh, and then, of course, there's the flogging. Yep. Uh, you know the and then he he has to carry his cross. He's he's so physically exhausted that he can't even do it. Right. Uh, somebody else has to do it for him. Right. And so then we get to this point where he's you know brutally tortured through crucifixion. Right. And then death occurs, uh, and and his body is so exhausted that they didn't even have to break his legs to complete it because crucifixion kills by suffocation. Yeah. Ultimately, that's right. that's the final consummation if you will the final cause of death and crucifixion is suffocation right and so to avoid that criminals would use their feet which were nailed to the cross to to push themselves up yep so that they could get get gaps gasps of breath yeah jesus body fill up jesus's body was so exhausted he didn't have the strength to push up so he suffocated far quicker than he like yeah sometimes it would take days for somebody to truly suffocate um he did it in a matter of hours i'm pretty sure um he died. And so, yes, he physically died. He physically felt, you could say, emotionally felt, mentally felt all that was going on uh, in his, uh, you know, man state, if you want to say. But then he was also, in the spiritual reality, taking on the wrath of the Father. Yeah. And we, you couldn't physically see that happening, but it was happening spiritually. Yeah. And that is the key. Yeah. He literally... Uh, was facing my like the punishment that I should face, that we should all face, um, for the elect sin, and that's amazing. Mm-hmm. The yeah. destruction of our bodies and the separation of our yep. of our souls from God. Yep. And so that you could say, there's two things that must happen for us to be uh, reconciled to God and be in right standing before Him again. One, we need our sin punished. Two, we need a righteousness. Yeah. So, Christ face the punishment for our sin on the cross. And we already talked about that he lived this righteous life. And so now, okay, my sin was punished 2,000 years ago. How do I get this righteousness that I also need to be right before a holy God? Well, the other half of Romans 6.23, which we've talked about so much, but we've never actually finished it, is, yep. you know, so for the wages of sin is death. We've said that a few times. Yep. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Right. So how do we obtain yeah. righteousness? It's a gift of God. Right, exactly. So, yeah, that's what's so amazing about Romans 6.23 is it, it does display both sides of this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, some people say it's a one-verse gospel presentation. And yeah. You can really use it to explain the entirety of the gospel. So, yes, uh, we need this righteousness, and it's a gift. Uh, and we use the word grace. Uh, grace is un- unmerited favor mm-hmm. or an undeserved gift. So this, this salvation that we're receiving from Christ is a gift entirely. He did uh, the work of dying on the cross. He did the work of living a righteous life. And now we're given the benefits by, yeah. by nothing uh, that we've done. But I, I, think we've, I think we've skipped over a really major part. Mm-hmm. So Christ was buried yeah. after he died. Yeah. He was put in a tomb. So they did you know, all of the... All of the, you know, wrap the body, yeah. you know, put the, uh, you know, at the time, you know, they, they put the oils right. and, and stuff yep. on the body to, um, to help with, 
you know, all of that, um, what we would call embalming today, I, but I don't, I mean, I don't think they embalmed then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, <clears throat> but then Jesus was resurrected. Right. And that sets the stage for our salvation. Yeah. Because th- the resurrection is where the hope lies. Right. Uh, if if Jesus wasn't resurrected, he wasn't God. He wasn't God, exactly. And that his work was futile. Yeah, and that's where uh, we can know that sin was appropriately punished right. for all, right? Because Jesus, being God and completely undeserving of the death that he received, yep was given life again in, yeah. in, in physical form yep. uh, and and then brought back to a complete uh, communion with God. Right. With, with God the Father. He's the first fruits yes. of what's to come. Yeah. And, and so, yes. So now we'll kind of get to more of like, okay, as an evangelist, I'm going to go out. I'm going to share the gospel message. Basically what we went through, and you can really share it in a, even a minute. Yep. Uh, God, man, state, sinful, separated from God, um, deserving of wrath, deserving of hell, uh, totally unable to come to God. Uh, the work of Christ, his life of righteousness, his work on the cross of, ta- of, of appeasing the wrath of God for us um, and taking our sins on himself. Uh, and then... So I'm sharing this as an evangelist with somebody who's dead in their sins. Um, and then we get to the point of what we would call the fourth element, response. Mm-hmm. So the, the Bible says that we, we respond or receive Christ by faith and we repent. Right. So what is going on there? Because we would fully affirm that the Bible is very clear that we are not saved by any sort of works. Right. And so faith... Ephesians 2. Right. Exactly. So... We are not saved by a work of faith that we do. Uh, right. Faith is a gift. Yeah. As a matter of fact, yeah. I mean, it's exactly that. Our faith is a gift. Our faith is not even our own. Right. Uh, we accept it, but the scripture is clear. Jesus is the author and perfecter, perfecter of our of faith. Our faith. Uh, so if Jesus is the author and our faith is the book, yep. Uh, it's not our faith. Right. It is being written. It is being written for us and given to us mm-hmm. and perfected in us. Yes. Uh, you know, we, so, and it, that's, that's an example because obviously when we talk about it, we say, well, I have faith yeah. or my faith or drives faith. Yeah. this. And, and certainly, I mean, we have some ownership over it because yep. it was a gift to us, yep. but it is not ours in which we should boast. Right. You know, we, we, we can take no credit for our faith. Right. Uh, because it's not some, you know, thing that we came to on our own. Right. And so, the, yeah, that's, this brings in some subtleties or some very important elements of the gospel, of what's happening behind the scenes, you could say, is as I'm preaching this message to somebody, uh, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, uh, makes that gospel word uh, effectual or powerful. And so he uses the gospel message uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, to regenerate a sinner's dead heart, and then he summons them or calls them to faith and gives them faith. And through faith, 
You could think of faith as a channel. Through faith imputes to them or accredits to them the righteousness of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so now uh, the, Holy, the Holy Spirit, through the gospel message, making it a powerful message, summons them from death to life, summons them from uh, enmity with God to, to uh, desiring God, brings them to life, and then gives them righteousness through the avenue of faith. And so now they're right before God. Their sins have been punished on Christ. Uh, now they have the righteousness of Christ, and it's like a cloak. It's like a blanket that covers them. Mm -hmm. So it's external. It's legal. Uh, this is what justification is. We are justified. Uh, we have the righteousness of Christ that the Father sees, and he sees us in right standing with him. Yeah. And so, you know, justification in this case is really technical yeah. and, and specific theological term. Right. That we should take a moment to define in that it means to be made right with, in this case, God. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the Greek word for justified or justification and righteousness is actually the same root. And so, you know, we, we in English, we translate some in the context, some justified or some just righteous. But it really means, uh, justified means being righteous, mm -hmm. you know, having a righteousness, yeah. uh, being righteous before God. Um, and we need a righteousness. Right. To be at peace with God. Yeah. Because we are not uh, we are not righteous now. We are not right. right with God. Right. We have to be made right with right. God. And again, it was completely done, entirely done by Christ and Christ alone. Mm -hmm. So we would say we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Um, and hopefully you understand then what that really means after our, what we've been discussing for an hour. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean— so if we talk about the nuts and bolts of it, you know, yeah. you talked a lot about, you know, so you're speaking the gospel to somebody or the gospel is spoken to somebody. And and really, I mean, Romans 10 explains this right. extremely well. And it says for in verse 10 of Romans 10, yep. for with the heart, one believes and is justified. Right. So with the heart, mm -hmm. in the deepest part of somebody, mm -hmm. one believes in this gospel, mm -hmm. and then is made right with God. So that's the nuts and bolts right. of it. Um, belief there, and and so then continuing, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Mm -hmm. So Paul is quoting scripture here um, from the Old Testament to say that uh, everyone who believes in him being Christ will not be put to shame in front of God, so they will not be judged by God mm -hmm. um, negatively. Uh, for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing all his riches on all who call on him. Mm -hmm. Then in verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So that's where we get the nuts and bolts yes. of what's happening. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, and so that's faith. So we can say that faith uh, is a channel for which righteousness is imputed to us or credit to us. We live by faith. We have faith. It's a gift given to us. Um, we can even also define it, break it down a little bit. It, it, faith involves uh, the intellect, the emotion, and the will. I'm believing true things about God. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling true affections for God given to me by the Holy Spirit who is now dwelling in me because he just regenerated me. Now I feel 
feel these affections towards God. I desire him. I want him as my Lord. Uh, and, and then the will, uh, I choose, you could say, mm-hmm. or I, I, with my will, I turn to God in, in faith, in, in, yep. in trust. And, um, because we're a new creation. We're a new so creation, right. All of our desires uh, in our souls or spirits are changed mm-hmm. uh, at the justification moment. Right. Exactly. And so then that's where we get the word repentance that comes in. Repentance and faith are two sides to the same coin. Mm-hmm. So when we are given faith and when we have faith, we, we turn from our life of sin, from our life of rebellion, from our life of wickedness, we turn to Christ. And so, you know, you could say repentance is the turning away from the sin and the faith is now the, the, our new mm-hmm. direction that we're turning to. Yeah. Uh, and it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this moment to attack a false gospel. <laughs> sure. I know I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but this is important to understand because uh, there are people who will tell you that repentance is not necessary to salvation. Right, uh, but repentance is core to belief in Jesus. Right, uh, I just kind of skimmed over uh, Romans ten by only reading like three verses from it. Yeah, uh, but something I want to call out is the number of times that Paul says "Lord." So I'm going to back up a little bit uh, to uh, Romans ten verse verse 9, where it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then I read verse 10, read verse 11. In verse 12, uh, Paul uses the term Lord twice, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. Mm -hmm. And then in verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right. So it, Paul, or the New Testament refers to Jesus as Lord 747 times. That's just a few. Yeah. <laughs> and it, that is central to this. And, and what Paul is saying here is that you have to come to that point yeah. where you turn back to recognizing that that Jesus is the Lord. Jesus right. is above you. Right. Which is, you know, when we talked about the sin that Adam committed, he put his desires above God's. Right. And we need to return right. and turn turn away from that that nature that we have. Right. And that very same attitude that we have and turn towards the attitude of Jesus as Lord. Right. So this idea that repentance is not necessary to salvation is garbage patently false (laughs) it's it's part of belief right and there was a big issue in the 90s with the non-lordship gospel yes it's what macarthur really wrote his book the gospel according to jesus to combat like this idea that you can have jesus as your savior but not your lord you can still uh experience that that saving uh yeah grace of christ and yet still live for your sinful flesh no you can't at all you can't it's impossible like you are given a new nature. You are given, You are made alive in Christ. You are. You have the Holy Spirit, who is God Himself, living in you, giving you new desires. Right. And to to still live according to the flesh is just evidence that you've never been saved. Right. And so that's the that is key. And I mean, th- there's room where we all struggle with sin. Oh, exactly. Right. And we see that in Romans seven, uh, with with Paul, where he goes on this th- this 
this huge, just it's it's a dark, it's a dark uh, chapter in scripture. Oh yeah, where he taught, where he's just mourning his own sin this and how struggle. he can't escape it. Right. Uh, I mean, this is after he said that we, that we do have escape from sin. We we are no longer slaves to our sin. Right in Romans but, six. But he's talking about how he still struggles with sin, and so there's certainly room for that. Right, because he lives in you, this, this fleshly body. Yeah, if, if you constantly have no remorse for sin, right. if you're, and just turning towards sin willingly. all the time without any regard for what God says or for this new nature that the Bible promises that we have and yeah. says that we have, uh, like you said, we have to begin to question our belief, and and that all has to do with the lordship of Jesus. Right. It's interesting. I've heard of an analogy that says the one who has been regenerated and is alive in Christ and has experienced salvation and justification, they are fighting against the current of the river now, and yeah. it's hard and it's a battle and it takes effort. Yep. Uh, and they might and they're making progress. So they're trudging against the current, but they're making progress. Whereas the person in the flesh who's never experienced salvation is just going with the flow of yep. the river. And there is no internal struggle or battle. Yep. And so that's what, what was, when we when you see somebody actually struggling, like we see Paul struggling in Romans seven. Mm-hmm. That's evidence that you know, you're probably right. saved. But when you see somebody just giving into this fleshly passions, and there's no internal battle, and there's no attempt and, and struggle to kill the flesh and kill the desires of the flesh, um, when there's when there's none of that, then it's pretty blatant evidence that they've never been regenerated. They don't have this new nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see in, in 1 John, too, that if you, anybody who practices sin has never known the truth. Right. Um, and the practice, a practice you can think of as like, uh, let's say I'm a practicing doctor. It's like my, it's what I do. I'm mm-hmm. a doctor. I'm doing yeah. it, and I intend to do it, and I, and I want to do mm-hmm. it. And you can think of it that way. People who are still in the flesh, they practice sin. It's what they want to do. It's what they're going to do. There's no... Uh, there's no desire not to do it, really. Right. But yeah. So I think um, we'll wrap it up there for okay. for this week. I think we're well over an hour now. Um, Probably. <laughs> but we'll let uh, next week we'll start to discuss more of the false gospels. You you mentioned one, mm-hmm. but we'll get into more specifically these different false gospels um, that come from you could say that 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 desire to please man instead of God. Yeah. And so how has the gospel changed? What are these different you know, false gospels? We briefly mentioned the non-lordship gospel. We can get into it a little bit more. But the prosperity gospel, uh, you know, the, the gospel that says we, we work our way to salvation or merit yeah, it in I mean, some way. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Right. You know, again, we talked about Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. Right. You know, if, and again, we could go back to Romans 10 to talk about this because, you know, the whole thing about... You know, there are people who would say X to bring, as if to bring God down to our level, mm-hmm. which, again, that was the inherent problem to begin with, yeah, right? Yeah. And, uh, or, you know, say this as if to bring humanity up to a place above Christ to send him down for salvation. Well, you know, yeah, if if we could do all that, then Christ didn't have to die. If, right. if we could work to, towards holiness, we didn't need Christ's help. Exactly. And that's that's where that's false. But we'll go on. I could talk for hours about Good. So that's what we'll talk that. about uh on the next podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed the first ever Preaching Persuade podcast. Um, 
if you know who we are, you can give us <laughs> pointers or say, yeah, uh, absolutely. This was you sounded dumb or whatever, but just yeah. But I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope uh, you learned something. Uh, but thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you.